Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monty. And we're here today to discuss... I think John's going to lead me into what we're going to discuss, but but I've got a I've got a clipping from Facebook that uh, uh, friends sent me, and uh, I think this stimulated some thoughts for John. And then uh, you were talking. You know, did you want to come back to, a little bit to some of the comments you made about coaching, John, and some of the tie-ins? Yeah. Why don't you start with the article, and then I think it. Yeah, it plays into the article a lot. Okay. So a friend sent me this without too many comments. Uh, I think, I think uh, you know, wondering maybe what I thought of this as a way of somewhat defining what a Christian is. And we have been talking in the uh, uh, Untangling Christianity Facebook group about what Christianity is and what, what Christians are. And, and I've kind of been sticking with this this these this two pronged approach to what a Christian is. A Christian, on the one hand, is somebody who who declares themselves to be a Christian, um, and on the other hand, somebody that 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 God might see as being a, a Christian or a follower of Christ. And I don't have much. I don't, I don't know about. I'm guessing it's the same with everybody else. There's very little access to number two. I don't know what goes on in the mind of God. You know, um, I'm kind of stuck with number one. So this is a little, uh, looks like a newspaper uh, article or uh, I don't think it's, an, I don't think article is the right word. I think actually it's a poem. It's entitled, I am a Christian. Did you want me to just, should I just read this yeah, out? Yeah, I think you should just read the whole thing. What, what's strange is there's, well, I guess we can link to the post on Facebook, but there's no attribution in terms of like who wrote it or where it came from. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it does seem definitely to be a, a, a picture, a snapshot of a, a, a newspaper clipping, but yeah, no name, no newspaper name, no date. Begins uh, title, I am a Christian. When I say that, quote, I am a Christian, I am not shouting that I am clean living. I'm whispering, I was lost, but now I've, I'm found and forgiven. When I say, quote, I am a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. When I say, quote, I am a Christian, End quote. I'm not trying to be strong. I'm professing that I'm weak and need his strength to carry on. When I say, quote, I'm a Christian, end quote, I'm not bragging of success. I'm admitting that I have failed and need God to clean my mess. When I say, quote, I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I'm worth it. When I say, quote, I'm a Christian, end quote, I still feel the sting of pain. I have my share of heartaches, and so I call upon his name. When I say, quote, I am a Christian, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's grace somehow. That's it. I mean, I've just put this to you just before the podcast. Did you, did you want to start off with any thoughts or kind of responses that you had or tie this in with uh, I would say, the time? Well, I'd say it's pretty familiar. I mean, it's pretty standard fare. Um, and the, 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 I guess the tie-in is, so I mentioned last time I'm going through this coactive coaching 
certification process. Mm -hmm. And one of the tenets of the coactive coaching model is that people are creative, resourceful, and whole. Mm -hmm. And I was in a session yesterday and I was kind of thinking out loud on those three things with one of the instructors and we ended up in kind of an interesting place and it maybe takes us in a different direction, but it's in kind of sharp contrast to, so when I, when I read and, and see this article, I hear the same familiar sense of uh, Christian saying that, you know, they're sinful and broken and God made it all better. <laughs> in the context of this coaching thing, the idea of, of everyone being whole. So I brought this up yesterday and I said, I can't remember the context of how I brought it up or, or why I was thinking out loud on it, but I, Oh no, I was, I was explaining how I had explained it to someone else, which was the idea that, and so I essentially, I said, there's a couple of different perspectives on it. One, when you approach the coachee or the client as being whole already, it -hmm. takes away my need as a coach to fix them. It's Mm -hmm. not the job. It's not the coach's job to fix someone. Mm -hmm. And I really have seen that, that I'm not, I guess I'm not much of a, I'm in terms of a a range, you know, some people are fixers, you know, you, you, you share something with a friend and they immediately like have five ways you can fix your problem. I'm probably lower on the scale on that in terms of feeling the need to either fix other people's problems or thinking that I can, but you know, I have that tendency like anyone else. The other thing I mentioned is that, you know, and I said, you know, but I said, you know, I also feel like this is this whole idea of everyone is whole. It's kind of a wink wink because we all know that we're not whole. And this right. is where it took a turn I didn't expect, which was the response was, no, actually we are. We have just taken on negative messages in our lives. And <laughs> really, if you peel away all the layers of all the bad stuff that's happened in our lives, the core essence of who we are is that we are already whole. We just have to get down in there and rediscover it. And I had one of those moments where I, my mind was just spinning. I was like, okay, because my next question was like, and what are you basing this on? <laughs> like, how do you know this? Like, is this yeah. just a great theory? But but I I felt stuck, I guess, for a couple of reasons. One, well, this probably leads to a totally different topic, but the context of these classes and interactions I have with people, I would say they're fairly common and fairly common in the sense that it would have been pretty much pretty out of line for me to say, well, like, how do you know that's true or based mm-hmm. on what? It's just it's it's kind of this collective of, you mm-hmm. know, if if people throw out a thought that, you know, it's all chakras and energy well, that must be true. And if someone says, well, you know, you can, you know, live your life by the stars, everyone politely nods. is like, oh, yeah, huh. And so there's, so it was, I don't know, it was. Sounds right, like you need J.P. Sears in your class. <laughs> <laughs> He's I'm hilarious. Sorry. He's hilarious. I just shared that with someone the other day. That's that's oh. worth linking to in the, in the notes. <laughs> I'll do that. I'll do that. How to Be More Spiritual by J.P. Sears. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I guess I see there's an interesting contrast between this article 
and the philosophy be- behind the coaching methodology that I'm working in. Mm-hmm. And and so as I as I'm sitting there and I decided to let it go, but I thought I wonder what Greg would say to this idea that we're whole. I hear you kind of snickering, so I'm guessing you you're thinking not so much, but at the same time, you know what I don't know, what do you think of all that? Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like you had a really valuable discussion there. It would be interesting to see where things would go if you push the point. You know, what they would come up, what your instructor or whomever other instructor would come up with as a response. But what you're saying there, these three tenets, if you like, of uh, coaching, that we're, sufficient, we're, we're, we're creative, resourceful, and whole, those kind of, in terms of mediation, there are similar sorts of tenets. Oh, really? Yes, that exist. And I purposefully, as someone with a philosophy background and hearing some of the things they're saying and, and recognizing philosophically, we've, we've abandoned these ideas hundreds of years ago, literally, you know, over a hundred years ago, we've abandoned some of these ideas. Wait, what ideas? Well, in, in mediation, we have this idea of neutrality and impartiality. I'm neutral as a mediator and I'm impartial. Oh, you have no biases. None. <laughs> no. Somehow Rene Descartes has 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 been resurrected and, and some of the the wonderful enlightenment uh cut and driedness of of uh the seventeenth and eighteenth century have come back and, and they're alive and well every time you're in a mediation room with a mediator. And uh, you know, I haven't I haven't brought this up. I raised it in a couple of papers in a really light way, but <clears throat> never brought it up in a discussion. Uh, but I think it's the same sort of thing. It's this idea that we are able to, in- instead of seeing something as present or as sufficient or as likely enough, we just, it's, it's, a, it's this whole blanket statement. So I would say people are typically creative enough, can be creative enough in the right sort of settings, can be resourceful enough. They might be whole enough, you know, because some aren't. You can't just walk out on the street and pick anybody and say, you know what, if you guys just sit down with me for 10 minutes, and I'm assuming that they're willing, they really are willing, that they're going to make some gains or that they're going to sit through two, three, four sessions with you and they're going to make some gains. I just don't think you're going to my guess is if you went to your, your teacher and said, yeah, listen, I could bring you five people off the street. I don't think you can do anything with. Do you think you can manage to work with everybody and they'll all make gains if they want to? And I think that that would be, you know, pretty questionable. So, I don't know. I would disagree with you there. Yeah? You think, you think, you think <laughs> well, that everybody I've, would or that you think your teacher would say that? I think, well, I think that the, the crux of it is whether the person wants to change. Whether the person wants something else. So... Yeah, if I find five random people off the street and I say, hey, let me do coaching with you and, and let me help you uh, have a breakthrough in some area of your life. And mm-hmm. they're just like, whatever, I don't think this coaching stuff works and I don't even want to do it, but fine, I'll just sit here in the chair. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work. But I think if someone wants to change, I, I don't know. Well, this is a good point. I mean, I wonder about what it is they conceptualize as needing to change and how they view change. 
you know, so well, it could be it, it, a lot of times it's like right, well, so like there's a side it's called the wheel of life, which is a fairly common tool, which is it's a wheel and there are, you know, different aspects of your life. And so you rate your level of satisfaction in each of those areas of your life mm-hmm. and 10 being high, zero being low. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of a fairly common tool for as a starting point. So maybe right. you've rated money as really, really low or your career development is really, really low. Okay, well, let's, you know, but you've rated your relationships or family or spirituality as fairly high. Oh, okay. So would you like to delve into money? Sure. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about, okay, so what problems are you having around money? And then you just it's just this process of untangling what those things are and then helping them Basically, as a coach, you're facilitating a conversation around this issue, mm-hmm. and as they are bringing stuff to the table, you're working with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that seems really positive. You know, I think coaching is really valuable, and yet I guess I wonder how much does someone's ability to be able to conceptualize accurately where they're at, what they're looking for. You know, even filling in the wheel of life requires that someone be self-aware enough. You know, I may not feel very good about something, but it may be that, you know, the problems are quite external to me. It may be that the problems are issues that uh, have to do with who I spend my time with and the influences other people have on me. Or maybe there are a lot to do with who I am and how I've come to see the world. You know, and I guess, I guess that's when I'm thinking about this idea when you said creative, resourceful, and whole – you know, I think that that varies from person to person a great deal. And then being able to even work with somebody to to see the need for change, to accept change. I mean, those are all kind of those are all kind of tricky, I think. And so this idea that you kind of have to peel away the negative, as your your uh, instructor said, and then you're going to find that you're you're whole. I think it, I think it depends a lot on how you're defining these things. You know, we're all whole. We're all resourceful. We're all creative. I agree with that 100%. And yet I would say also, we're all extremely uncreative, unresourceful, and broken. <laughs> and I'm, again, I'm not trying to have my cake and eat it too here, but I, I think that in certain areas of my life where I have – so I'm really good when it comes to um, research. I've done a lot of it. I've, I've been evaluated on it. I've been given tips and – instructed by people who are good at it themselves and who have more background in it than I do. And so I feel pretty confident and I feel pretty creative and resourceful. And when it comes to that, I feel generally that when I'm putting my, my, uh, my focus on a particular research topic, um, not only will I know if I've done a good job, I'll know if I haven't done a good job. Right? I'm not just going to sit there and say that's my best. Well, that's good to know. That's my best. But I might come up with it. I remember in 2009 and I was researching something called polyamory, which is this idea that um, instead of having you know, this whole uh, the notion of sort of, sort of casual sex – uh, it's, Wait, it's this, why, where, are, uh, where are we going? <laughs> okay, we're going into a place where. All right. Do I topic, dare ask? Do I dare ask why why you were researching this? Well, yeah, a friend was having an issue with this. I had just finished my 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 graduate thesis. I'm looking at Christian responses to this, and I was stunned and shocked 
because I still had all my database access. I still had all of, I mean, I was in the middle of it. I was, it's like running and you're, you're at top form as a runner and you're going to go run a race. Well, you anticipate you're going to do pretty well. So I'm anticipating in this research project, I will find out what there is to find and I will bring this back for this friend and this will be of value. And I found nothing. In the Christian community, it was as this, it was, it was the monkey with the, with the finger stuffed in the ears, you know, and, and had I been at a different point in my life, I probably would have gone and, and actually written some stuff on that. I found some wonderful material by this fellow who was an avowed Buddhist. I would certainly recommend him to anyone. But so it's not only knowing when you've done as much as you can do, it's also being having a sense of when you're, when you're accomplished with these things. So in these areas of strength that we have, I'm going to know if I've actually found anything or not. I'm going to know if I've accomplished not only the best I can do, but how good that is, Right. So in that case, I did the best I could do and it sucked because the material I was looking for, which was Christian responses to polyamory, did not exist. I could not find it. And I guess this is the other like – the point I'm trying to make in areas of weakness, in areas of non-practice. So when it comes to me, I don't know, planning a fun event, all right, some fun events I'm okay with. If I had to plan a big party – that everybody would come away from saying, wow, that was a fantastic party. <laughs> I'm going I'm to hire an event planner. <laughs> you know, I'm going to hire somebody who knows what they're doing because I'm not very creative. I'm not very resourceful. And whole, well, I don't know how whole really applies there. But I'm not very talented. And I recognize that. And I would like to get better with some of that stuff because I like parties too. But I guess there's, the, there's this sort of idea that, that, that we are at different places we are not maybe in a, in a greater sense whole beings. We are multiple. There's this multiplicity within me in the different areas of my life and even different applications of the same area. I will experience different levels of creativity, resourcefulness. And if you like, if we can say wholeness as, as an ability to approach this area with confidence or with an open mind or with a, with a willingness to fail – then I'm at different levels there too. No, that, that's that's really helpful. I yeah, if I get an opportunity, I might take this back and and push it a little bit because the the way the way I understood it was kind of this just yeah, it was this big broad brush that you know everyone is whole. We're we're just at our essence, we are already whole. Yeah, I mean, I and I would probably. It, it, I would struggle to understand what that the, the whole piece is kind of difficult, you know. I think as a as a mediator part of what how I view the matter is that that I am not responsible for the outcome. I'm responsible to try to facilitate the best conversation I can between these two parties and help them to negotiate and and increase their 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 negotiating power as much as I can for each of them. That's interesting. So you have an obligation to both of them, to both parties in a mediation. Well, yes, and even this whole idea of neutrality, when I'm talking family mediation, it's very clear there is a guiding principle. For example, I live in Alberta, and governing such interactions would principally be the Family Law Act of Alberta. And in the Family Law Act of Alberta, there is a guiding principle. That is the best interest of the child. So I can have two people who are really happy and make a great agreement and they agree that, you know, dad, he's not too interested in the kids. 
doesn't want to see them at all. The mom says, that's great with me. You know, puts her hand to the side of the face, whispers across the table, he's a butthead anyways. And, 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 and yet they both shake hands. They're both happy. And my response is, I'm sorry, I can't sign my name to that. Because this act says that the interest of the child includes spending time with both parents as much as, as is possible and reasonable. And the fact that you two have agreed on something is great. But I'm not putting my name on it because the law will not, will not go along with that. Right? Mm. When you try to take this disagreement I've written up and take it to your lawyers, the lawyer's going to look at this, scratch his head and say, well, um, I'm not putting my name on this. <laughs> so, you know, um, this whole idea with, for example, in mediation of neutrality, that doesn't exist. And I do have a responsibility. I'm not responsible for an outcome. You know, you guys can work out this problem any way you want or not. You can walk out of the office storming mad, right? I'm not sure what's going to come. So I'm not responsible for how you work this through, but I am responsible. I am beholden to certain um, innate areas of focus and uh, guiding principles within the law that happens to govern this whole area of interaction, which is, you know, child support, uh, parenting plans, let's say, those two, particularly parenting plans. So... Yeah, I think I don't know about wholeness so much as I don't – I'm not responsible. Like I cannot control these two people even if I think I may know some good things. And I think I do know some good things. Like I've lived my life. You know, I've gone through my own personal uh, many months of separation heading towards divorce and have managed to come back from that. And I didn't do that arbitrarily. It wasn't like the wind changed one day and therefore I changed my mind, right? There was some – new understandings and a lot of effort and a lot of work that we both did to bring about that change. And so, yeah, I, 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 I would work, I would, for me, I would tend away from this idea of wholeness towards the fact that, you know, responsibility lies with the individual. I'm responsible for doing what I do as a mediator, which is trying to create the right environment, trying to, um, assist, facilitate one party hearing the other, one party being able to express themselves to the other, and to bring as much um, sort of objective criteria. You know, okay, well, the, the, the law is typically looking like this, right? Now, I, I can't provide legal advice, but I can provide some information, like the best interest of the child is a guiding principle. You know, so these types of things. And then I let go of responsibility. But I don't know that I'm ever focusing on, like the wholeness one seems just kind of, it seems much more nebulous than people being creative or not or resourceful or not or, Mm. you know, like, and I don't know why we'd have to, it seems like a step beyond saying, I am a, I am not you and therefore I'm not responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. It seems like a step beyond that as asserting some sort of philosophical and almost, um, essential or essentialist notion about a person that I don't know that I'd be willing to embrace. Okay. Yeah. And and just to be clear, the part that I really resonate with is that I feel like it, it affects my orientation towards the client. Mm. And it affects it. It thinks the best of and for the client that the client can figure this out that 
the client is not broken. And so if they're broken and they're coming to me and they're, you know, paying for a coaching session, then the sense could be, oh, I need to act more as a consultant here and help, quote, fix your situation or give you, you know. And so that's the subtlety that I think is really valuable because the, again, the model's called coactive coaching. It's coactive in the sense that it's a coactive relationship between the client and the coach. And Mm -hmm. so both are working together to figure out, you know, what make what's the best way to move a particular situation forward or increase satisfaction or fulfillment or those kinds of things. Yeah. No, and I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I just wonder if you need to go either way, mm-hmm. you know, either they're whole or they're broken, and if it can't be both and in a given situation, you know, all you things will play out and I'll see maybe or they'll see maybe. You know, because if they were whole already, I wonder what their need would be for you. And so if... Oh, so if someone's completely whole, why do they even need help? Why would they even be coming to coaching? Yeah, so like I value what you're saying from your perspective and I would agree with you. From their perspective, I would say it seems to be both. Like I'm whole enough that I can use other areas of my life as examples or supports to enable me, to empower me in areas where I am broken or weak. And so I guess I would see it as they're shot through, like I'm shot through and hopefully I'm moving more towards wholeness all the time, right? But I'm on a journey, I'm on a, I'm I'm progressing, but. um, Well, speaking of progression, I think that takes us right back to the article. Yeah. Which is, I'm, I don't know. (laughs) Where did you want to go with this article? Oh, hold on, hold on. I brought this to you. I think you should make some comment first, shouldn't you? You said this was, I, well, what did you say? I say you, it's standard fare. Okay. There's so, nothing surprising here. This is, uh, this is, you know, I'm a horrible, sinful person and God makes it all better. It's both and. I'm a sinful, broken person and, you know, by God's grace, um, that makes it better. It makes mm. me better. Mm. It makes me better enough. Better enough. I like that. Because well, <laughs> better and <laughs> well, no, and and of course, and I'm assuming that the underlying theme here is this idea that because humans are sinful and God is holy and God can't be in the presence of sin, that we need something to take care of it. And that's Jesus. Yeah, that it's, this is just a, so I I think I'm hearing you say this is kind of a, you know, what is it? Seven little paragraphs that each form a uh, kind of a rhyming group. And it's just still doing the same old thing, which is, well, it's, it's like the I'm little problem. God solves me, sort of thing. Yeah, or it's like the little button that said, you know, be patient with me. God isn't done with me yet. <laughs> That's kind of what this, you know, when I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. I am confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. So, yeah. Well, I was I was shocked because uh, this particular post came out just yesterday and it already has uh 
nearly 2,000 likes, loves, and what's the open? Oh, wows. Some wows, a bunch of loves, and a ton of likes. So we're at like almost 2,000. Um, and most of the comments, there were, uh, there were 170 comments, 171 comments. Almost every single one of them was kind of just this amen or hallelujah or that's great. There was one in there, one, that was critical. Uh, it was critical. Actually, there were, there were, there were two that were, were somewhat critical, but one was directly critical. The, uh, and that was of that, the piece that you just said. You just read the second paragraph. Uh, when, I'm, when I say I'm a Christian, I don't speak of this with pride. And the person said, you know, I am proud to be a Christian. And I guess I would see with every single one of these, I don't understand why there is this, uh, I'm not this, but I'm that. I'm not this, but I'm not that. You know, I'm not shouting that I'm clean living. I don't speak of this with pride. I'm not trying to be strong. I'm not bragging of success. I'm not claiming to be perfect. I still feel a sting of pain. I'm not holier than thou. And I, I think with, with all of these, with, with, with maybe one exception, I would think, well, why aren't you focusing on the way you live? And why isn't that a source of some satisfaction for you? You know, if you don't want to say pride, um, why because not? Because you and, can't do that, it yourself. God does it all. You can't take it, credit for that. You have to give God all the glory. Well, I, and I guess that's where they're coming from, right? You know, yeah. I'm whispering, I was lost, but now I'm found and forgiven. Well, what does that mean you were lost? You didn't understand things. You didn't live your life in, in the way that, that, that turned out to be what? That turned out to work? You weren't resourceful and creative enough, and now you are? You know, and so I, I think when I read this, and then I read it again, and I realized, you know, this is a rhyme. Um, I'm not shouting, I'm clean living. I'm whispering I was lost, but now I'm found and forgiven. Uh, I don't speak of this with pride. I need Christ to be my guide. I'm not trying to be strong. I'm weak. I need his strength to carry on. And I just thought, you know, so much of this, it seems to me, I do want to be successful in my life. And I do want people to understand that my life, when lived in, in right relationship with God, is successful it's successful on a number of levels. And, you know, as, as Paul says, you know, I, I would boast in nothing but, but Christ. And so for me to offer as testimony the fact that I like the who I am as a person, I like the choices that I'm making. Um, I like how who I am as a, as a parent better, as a spouse better, as a friend better, etc. I mean, I think these things are essential. You know, and to say I still feel the sting of pain, well, I, yeah, I'm a human being. And then, but some of these things are just, I, I, I have no idea where they're coming from. When I say I'm a Christian, I'm not claiming to be perfect. My flaws are far too visible, but God believes I am worth it. God doesn't believe you're worth it. Wait, God what? loves you. God loves you. It's not believing you're worth it. God loves you. This is a huge piece and it's so hugely misunderstood. And I guess 
for the sake of creating seven rhyming couplets, I, I would, on the one hand, agree with you that this is, you know, I'm no good. I need God to make me better. But I, I just don't understand how this, how this really offers anything of any substance to anyone. I don't understand, for example. Well, it sounds almost, it sounds almost kind of like an excuse. Yeah, and there's no explanation for any of this, how this works, right? Uh, when I say I am a Christian, I am, I'm not holier than thou. I'm just a simple sinner who received God's grace somehow. What do you mean somehow? Don't you understand that, right? Isn't that, isn't, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it seems to me that by creating, uh, by trying to create something that shows I'm not this, I'm that, by putting them into into a, a rhyming uh, uh, arrangement, it's almost as though the format of this particular piece is more important than the content. And I think what you said is really helpful. It's it's this this kind of standard fare. I'm not any good at this. God had to help me do this. God's done it all for me. And of course, you know that that's that's ridiculous. I make choices every day. I make choices every single day to do the right thing or the wrong thing and to try and understand what right and wrong is. Yes, but people, some would advocate that you're only able to make those good choices when God's helping you. Yes, but this is the old, the crap that I do is me and my fault. The good that happens is God and God's doing. That's not the picture I see in the biblical text. That's not what happens in real life. If I'm not able to make any good choices of my own, how on earth am I anything other than a puppet being controlled by God? And why on earth are we saying hallelujah and amen to being controlled by something else? Determinism is not Christian faith. Because you're going to heaven. (laughs) Then we're into this double predestination thing, which is, you know, Calvinism on speed. And the Bible does not support that. I mean, the reason N.T. Wright has caused such a stir is not because he's saying what he's saying, but because he's saying it on the basis of evidence that is very difficult to refute. Extremely difficult. In fact, exegetically, when it comes to the core of what N.T. Wright is saying, no one has come back with better. You know, when, when people are finding fault with Wright in terms of, you know, his framework, it's around the edges, it's in pockets, in the middling areas maybe. But at the core of that, no. I haven't seen or heard anything about that. Well, I don't think people would agree with you either. Like your whole, when you're saying, you know, you feel like you're you're becoming a better person or you you like yourself better. How, how are you saying that? Yeah, I've, I've, I value who I am. I value who I'm becoming and I, I do like myself more. Okay, so, but see right there, the common notion there would be our old friend Kyle Eidelman, which is, it's not about you. It's all about becoming a zero. So the fact that the fact that you like who you're becoming more, uh, that's you're too focused on yourself. You know, that's a ridiculous notion. It's this idea that we involve ourselves with Christianity or with anything for no purpose related to ourselves. I don't do that for in any aspect of life. It's impossible. This is the same idea as saying, I read the Bible, just what's there. I don't interpret it. You're always interpreting. You're always part of the equation. I am always part of the equation when it comes 
to why I participate in something. That need not mean that I'm avaricious, selfish, um, that I'm uh, mercenary. Being involved for my own good. I mean, this whole idea, again, we've, we've totally messed this up. I mean, this is like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, from Oklahoma Western University. And this is, uh, this is a university, not a daycare. His letter, Dr. Everett Piper and his idea that this is not about, life is not about you, it's about others. No, quite the contrary. I mean, look at, look at what, is, what is the greatest and the second greatest, if you will, commandments. Love God entirely. And I mean, the text literally says, love your neighbor as yourself. But this means love yourself rightly, love your neighbor likewise. Without first loving yourself rightly, you cannot love your neighbor correctly. Implicit in the logic of that statement. And, and, and this, this is implicit in the logic of what it is to live as a human being. Right? If when we're looking at other informers, when we're looking at psychology, sociology, anthropology, they're telling us certain things about the importance of the individual, whether it's to themselves, in their social context, in their cultural context. And then all of a sudden, the Bible tells us something apparently different. And we say, oh yeah, that's got to be right because it's the Bible. No, it's us misreading the Bible. It's us failing to apprehend in a very, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how this can be simpler and more in our face. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you fail to love yourself, therefore you will naturally fail to love your neighbor. So my formulation of that is love God entirely, love yourself rightly, love your neighbor likewise. It's completely about me. And it's not entirely about me. Right? I am in this picture very, very much. So when I look at something like this, I think, yeah, on the one hand, I was lost, but now I've been found and forgiven. Sounds good, I don't know what it means. I'm confessing that I stumble and need Christ to be my guide. Okay, sure. And I hope you're also confessing your successes and the ways in which we, either as individuals, as communities, I hope as well, are overcoming certain things, are learning, are developing, are growing, are moving towards wholeness. I'm professing that I'm weak and need his strength to carry on. Yeah, but not his strength to do everything. Right? God didn't sit, come say, you know, come to me, all you who are weak and, and, and heavy laden, and I'll do the whole thing for you. That's not how it works. Right? These aren't the examples we see in the text. Christ, in the Gospels, Jesus rebukes people for not doing what they should do. Not for not simply just rely on me. You're not relying on me. You're not relying on God. No, you're, you're doing what you shouldn't do. You have made that choice. You could have and should have made a different choice. Go and change your choices in future, right? This is very simple. So when we get into some of this, it's not about us. It's all about God. God does it all. This is, uh, you know, I used to have a uh, <clears throat> prof who I certainly didn't agree with this phraseology. He would call this type of stuff folk, F-O-L-K. So when certain views of Calvin were brought up and they were, you know, a little removed from Calvin, but I think still quite based on Calvin. He would call that folk Calvinism. <laughs> now, Interesting. Uh, yeah, no, he was doing that because I don't think he wanted to shoot any arrows at Calvin. He was a very big fan of Calvin. Um, but I think this applies in, in other areas. And I would, uh, you know, uh, 
I, I, I wouldn't be quite as hesitant about shooting some arrows here. But I think one way of seeing this is these are socio- sociological notions. These are notions that arise out of particular communities of belief. He would call them folk beliefs, right? They're not quite real beliefs. And I think they're, they're, they're very real. They're just warped. These are literally, this is dysfunction. And what we're seeing is dysfunction in the Christian community. And for my money, um, if the way you live, again, as a Christian, is not a way you would live in any other part of or realm of your life, you need to be asking yourself some questions. You know, the biggest question to ask is, how does and how, how and how much does Christianity relate to the real world? And most people, most Christians, most Christian thinkers would say Christianity is intimately related to real life. But if that's so, why do I live one way over here when it comes to all these Christian things, but a totally a different way over here? I mean, I wouldn't put up with a friendship where I had no role, no value, and was got nothing from it. I wouldn't even put up with that in a marriage. I wouldn't put up with that in a work environment. But somehow I'm supposed to put up that with that with God. Really? I think that's people both. Uh, I, th- I think this is part of the standard idea that anything we can do to make God bigger is right. So by making God bigger, by making it seem like God is bigger, God becomes more important. This is this is more godlike. This is more me honoring God. And a great way to make God bigger is simply to shrink away. I have no role. I'm not important. It's, I have no value. I can't do anything. I'm not responsible for any of these good things that take place. You know, and then, of course, we, we do this other thing where we mix up the, the, the forensic legal part with the practical day-to-day part. So forensically on a legal level, if you want to say in terms of what it is to be in right relationship with God, am I able to live a good life that God says, yes, Greg, you know, you've lived a good life and, and I'm in right relationship with you as a holy being, because you too are on equal footing with me. Well, well done. High five. You're in. Well, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> but, but that's not the practical everyday we're talking about. On the practical everyday level, I do do good things. I do make good choices. I do make right, good decisions. And I live in right, good ways. Not entirely. Not all the time. Not consistently. But I do them. And to fail to notice that we do them is, is lying to ourselves. We are not being what we are supposed to be as Christians, which is truth seekers, truth tellers, truth finders, you know, amongst other things. So this article could be more balanced if they had focused on some of the good things that they do as well. I honestly, John, I, I, would, <laughs> I would just throw <laughs> it away. I'm trying to find some redemption here before we close. I, no. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. First of all, okay. <laughs> no, I, I think this is, well, I think these things are just totally misconceived, right? This idea that my flaws are far too visible, but God believes I am worth it. I'm a simple sinner who received God's grace somehow. If you don't have answers to these things, if you don't know that it's not about God believing you're worth it, but that it's God loving you and how much God loves you. And if you don't know what it is, you're a simple sinner. No, no, none of us are simple sinners, I'm I'm John I'm Greg. You're John. He's Matt. She's Sally. She's Susan. God knows us by name and seeks to renew us as human beings into who and what we should truly be. 
But to think that God categorizes us as sinners, again, this is this whole legal perspective that tends to dominate our thinking. I think, my hunch, because we don't have a clue, some of us as Christians, what it means to be in right relationship with God. This idea of God loving us is all fine and dandy, but we don't have a bloody clue of what that means. Practically speaking, it has no impact in our lives, which is why someone can write something like this that sounds like they're completely grasping at I don't know, like if I were writing a rhyming thing, don't make it rhyme. Just write what you think is really true. And then if it turns out that what you've written doesn't conform in large chunks with either A, what it means to be a human being living well in the world, or B, some of the core understandings of what it is, of who God is, who human beings are, and how the two are to relate. Maybe you want to sit down with somebody who's a coach in a spiritual sense, and you want to go over this because if this is your ideal, I think you've got a long way to go. And hopefully there are people there who can be of assistance on that trip. So speaking of assistance on this trip. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I think you this totally a, got me torqued on this one. I think this is a perfect time to remind people that if you are in, can you do mediation anywhere? I am looking into that. Okay, well, if you're Canadian, we'll we'll start there. If you're Canadian and you need help with mediation of any kind uh, or just want to have a conversation, you want to go to monteithmediation.com. And if you're interested in coaching, I don't do the spiritual variety. Uh, so <laughs> more of the life coaching variety. Uh, johnpolster.com is a place to go for that. Mm-hmm. And, and, but if you're looking for the spiritual stuff, why not the Untangling Christianity Facebook group? What? Huh? Huh? What do you think? Pretty smooth. Yes. Very oh, good. I think so. Yeah. Very good. Uh, thank you. And I think I think my monteithmediation.com is not quite up and running yet, my boy. But my oh, no, Facebook it will be by is. the time this goes out. Your site's going <laughs> to... <laughs> they call this a forcing function. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.